Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Commercial Property Investor Podcast, where it's my job to introduce you to people from the world of commercial property. We're talking with investors and thought leaders about their experiences of the commercial property world and sharing our own lessons from the last 20 years to give you practical know-how so that you can follow in their footsteps. If you've ever thought commercial could be your next step, but it just seems too confusing and opaque, then you've come to the right place. There are so many exciting opportunities in this dynamic sector, and I'm looking forward to pulling back the curtain and sharing them with you. Welcome back to the Commercial Property Investors Podcast, where we aim to give you the knowledge and confidence to move from residential into commercial property investment. And I'm your host, Jerry Alexander. This week, I'm going to be talking about our niche within the commercial property market. So far on previous episodes of the podcast, I've talked more generally about commercial property investment. But this time, I really want to share with you why this particular niche can work so well. In the interest of balance, at the end of the podcast, I will share some of the downsides too, so don't worry, it will be a balanced view. But commercial multiple occupancy buildings, or CMO, is a fantastic way of scaling your property business. Most people have heard of HMO, residential property investment, or homes of multiple occupancy, which is a tried and tested investment strategy. In fact, many listeners will have used it as a strategy within their own residential portfolio. But fewer investors have tried CMOs. It is a strategy that can quickly produce life-changing results. In the future... I'm going to delve more deeper into different aspects of commercial multi-let, and each of those podcasts will have CMO in the title, so that you can go directly to those episodes if that's what you would like to listen to, or leave them out if this is not an area of commercial property investment you want to learn more about. But interestingly, I have been asked to share more content on this topic quite a lot recently, so this will be the first in a series of more in-depth views of CMO. Today I'm going to give you some of the reasons why I think it's such a great strategy, but in the future I will start going into more depth about how to actually find, finance, purchase, um, let and redevelop multi-let buildings. But right now, let's just cover the basics. So what happened? How did we go from residential investment into this niche of multi-let commercial investment anyway? Well, after a few years in residential investment, I was getting frustrated and wanted to find some bigger deals where we could gain scale and some more opportunity. A bit like a game Monopoly, where we wanted to trade in some houses for a red hotel, figuratively speaking. For quite a bit of time, I was seeking out this fabled bigger deal, and of course not really knowing what on earth it would even look like. But I just kept networking, meeting people, trying to learn more, trying to find and discover new opportunities. One of the things I would do at that time, and I still do to this day, is I would organise games of cash flow. So if any of you have ever heard of Robert Kiyosaki, who wrote Rich Dad, Poor Dad, he also developed a board game called Cashflow 101 and then subsequently 202. But the 101 is the one I play a lot. And even now, I still organise evenings where a few um, colleagues or business people will come along and we'll have a few games or a game of the board with the board, but it's the chat around the board that really makes the difference. And on one particular occasion, way back, during the chat around the board game, a a relatively new friend of mine mentioned that he might know of a property that might actually suit what I was looking for. So a long story short, about 18 months later, we had our first commercial deal done. But it came from 
networking, looking, s discussing with different people, and then actually organizing a networking event myself that finally led me to a deal. Incidentally, subsequent to that game, we've actually now, or that time, we have now actually bought three buildings, three of our commercial portfolio have come from discussions around games of cash flow. So I'd strongly urge you to try it and organize some for yourself. So that first building, it was, well, it was a 10,000 square foot, two-story office building. It was in a commuter town with a population of just under 10,000 people. It wasn't in a city centre. It was definitely a secondary location. And at the time, there were around 28 units within this building. It wasn't open plan. There were lots of cellular um, units within this, which helps. And there were some storage containers outside. And over several years, we redeveloped the building, added new, new double glazing, a biomass boiler. We split some spaces down. We um, changed how the corridors looked, put in some suspended ceilings, all that sort of stuff. But over time, and now there are around about 35 units in that building, we've still got it. It's a great building. And since then, we have purchased some more traditional leased space where there's normally just a single occupant. But multi-let under license agreements is a sector that I really like and I find the most interesting. And our portfolio now has a number of different locations, each with its own unique makeup of customers and offering. The smallest property has 10 units. The largest is about 50, 55. So it goes from actually our smallest building is about 7,000 square foot, which I wouldn't recommend for this particular model. But even that one works. But really, you want to try and go for bigger ones if you have staff on site. I'll go into that more later on. But our biggest property is around about 20, 22,000 square foot, just to give you an idea. So before I delve into our um, specifics and what I really like about this, here's some stats on this industry, and in particular, the serviced office industry. So according to Instant Group, who are an online broker for office space, the flex space industry, as they call it, which includes office space, co-working and a hybrid of the two, so not industrial, retail or anything like that, they reckon there's about 85 million square feet in the UK. So it's a pretty big market, and yet it's still only about 4% of the total office supply. The growth of this particular market within office space has been phenomenal over the last few years. There are many many centres um, in cities all around the world, but it's growing in a number of secondary locations and working well. And an interesting statistic is that in the US market, there is a huge part of the current growth um, is actually coming from entrepreneurs rather than large brands. So in fact, North America, 84% of operators only have one location. The market has seen growth of 10% annually for a number of years over there, and it has now overtaken the UK in terms of the number of locations, which, as of October last year, the last report I could get my hands on from Instant, there was 5,300 locations in the US. Despite that, it is still only 1% of the overall US office market. So the growth is fantastic, the market penetration is still tiny, and there's plenty of room for growth even in the multi-let office market, which is what these statistics relate to. There are some very big players in this market, including some names you'll be familiar with, such as WeWork and Regis. Some have 
risen royally and others have quietly got on with their business and some of them have struggled recently. But it's worth pointing out that often the model in this industry, particularly for the larger companies, is a rent-to-rent business model. Some of you will be familiar with that in residential, where effectively you're renting from a, a, land, a landlord and then subletting to other tenants, generally holiday lets. But effectively you're subletting, and that is the same often in the commercial sphere. And this is fine and good for quick growth, but your underlying asset, i.e. the building, isn't yours. So we do it differently. I think it's vital if you want to build up a portfolio of assets rather than a portfolio of potential liabilities that you own the underlying asset, even if it means slower growth. So when I talk about multi-let CMO properties, I'm not just talking about office space as in that report, although this can be an essential part of the mix. However, because we're talking about buying all the properties and repurposing them, the offering that you can potentially make to customers depends on four different things. So this isn't about new build, this is about us taking older properties and making them work. And the first thing is the existing building shape and layout. So for instance, does the building have land that you can do something else with? Does the building have cellular uh, makeup or is it huge open floor plates? Does it, is it long and narrow with loads of windows or does it big fat and square with only windows around the perimeter of course? These all affect what you can offer internally. The second thing is location. Is it city centre or is it on an industrial estate? So for instance, city centre, you may consider putting in some food and beverage, a cafe or something. In the industrial estate, you might consider storage or you might consider workshops. These are all things that can go into the mix, but the building is really going to determine what is potential there. The third thing you really need to take to these projects is your own imagination and creativity because that's where these buildings are failing currently because somebody hasn't gone in with enough imagination to work out how can I repurpose this to develop much more income. And then the fourth thing which is really about research is all about local demand. So the existing shape, the location and your creativity will all affect the building structure and what's on offer. But the local demand is finding out what customers actually want. And if you can find out what they want, then you can develop what they need. So just to clarify what a typical CMO building is, they're they're usually single buildings. Sometimes there's one or two, but generally they're single buildings where several different companies rent separate workspace to carry out their various business activities. The services and building management are generally shared proportion between the occupants, so the costs are shared. And they'll all have their own commercial lease, or in our case, we provide licenses to occupy. And these are usually organised with the owner or the operator, sometimes with letting agents. Um, If you're looking at more industrial space where there's less interface with the customer, sometimes that's just done with an agent and they're done more on longer term licenses or leases. CMO can take the form of office buildings, of course, as we've discussed, but it can also take a mix of office, shopping space, industrial complexes, full multi-use, of course, a mix of all these things. And we've got a broad mix of spaces in our buildings. We've got private offices, storage, industrial space, food and beverage space, venue space, meeting rooms, co-working, business lounge, health and beauty studios, And some of these are rented out 
for as little as an hour and some are rented out for years at a time. So that's really what a commercial multiple occupancy building is. It's effectively a building with lots of different businesses going about their business, sharing the services and the communal costs for the building. If you think about a gym, in a gym, if you wanted all that equipment for yourself, it would cost a lot of money. But when you share it with lots of other members, it allows you to break down the cost so that it's available to more. So here's some really exciting reasons I think you should seriously consider CMO. So the first one is, let me ask you a question. Have you heard of SAS pensions? They're a fantastic tool for business owners to wrap a commercial property up in a tax-free bubble. SAS can work particularly well with the CMO strategy to generate money both inside and outside of your pension. It goes without saying, I'm not a SAS expert, but let me introduce you to someone that is. Bryn Walker has been advising on SAS pensions for many years and has been a long-term supporter of the CPI network. SAS and commercial property work incredibly well together, but there are many nuances, and Bryn will make sure you don't stray from the right path. Look in the show notes for the partner link and book up a SAS discovery call with Bryn. I kind of touched on it earlier on. Multiple occupancy buildings give you a chance to scale up quickly. So our first deal, we swapped in three residential properties in the end for one CMO property. So it had over 30 customers. So think about this. We went from three customers to 30 in that transaction. That building now has over 35 units, produces over 150 grand income a year. It was a way to scale. And it's interesting that it only took three residential properties to move into that space, but more on that later. The second thing is your resources are concentrated in just a few locations. So rather than being spread out over a number of properties and different districts to spread the risk with housing and residential, you can be much more efficient by focusing on one or two locations with multiple tenants. And that means, of course, you only have one roof. You may have one or two boilers. Your cleaning, your bins, your parking, all the different things that might be involved in uh, residential or might not are all in one location. Makes it much easier, much more concentrated. The third thing is you can really affect the building value which can then be leveraged for future purchases. This is the critical thing about owning the space rather than just renting it to, to sublet. It's a huge advantage. I mean, it deserves a whole podcast all of its own. But suffice to say, if you can build value by increasing your rent on these types of buildings, you can leverage them for future purchases, which will give you scale more quickly. The fourth thing is there are multiple streams of income not just rental. So in flats or houses, often the only income stream is from the rent. And of course, you may have some parking space and you may have some garage space, something else you might be able to add on. But generally, the main income source is rent, but not so in multi-let. Some of our locations have over 10 different forms of income streams. Again, subject for a future podcast. But just to give you an idea, it might be that you involve... Um, reception services, it might be you involve internet provision, maybe rather than just a a copper line, you might provide a full fibre line so that all your clients can get really, really good, stable, fast internet speeds. These are some of the extra income streams. Other things might be storage. You might have customers in there that like an office but need to have some storage of all their stuff 
Well, it's another thing that you can rent. So the fifth thing, annual turnover from just one location can be six figures. So currently our smallest location has a turnover of around about 100,000 a year. So how many houses, how many residential properties would you need for that? How many different locations, roofs, boilers, etc., would you need to get to that turnover? The equivalent residential properties would be quite a number, I would think. And bearing in mind, most of these multi-let buildings will turn over far in excess of that. This is the smallest example that I can show you or to share with you. The sixth thing, purchase prices can be much lower than you expect. So, as I mentioned earlier on, to buy that first one, we only had to sell three residential properties. By the way, if you're wondering how do I finance commercial buildings, how am I going to get the money, sell some residential. You might be able to get some money out and go and invest it in commercial. Just an idea. If you think about it, um, I, I think that most of the buildings that we bought to start with were probably around about three, four, possibly a five-bedroom house, that kind of value. You don't have to go out and buy the shiniest building in the world. It doesn't have to look pretty to make money. And sometimes what you're looking for is buildings that are really awkward and people don't know what to do with. So as an example, this one that we were talking about at the start, the first one we looked at, a 10,000 square foot building with 30 offices means there's actually not many big open spaces. And modern companies quite like to have big open spaces so they can be flexible, so the team can work together and all that sort of thing. But that's for single occupants. So any larger businesses looking at that building to buy it may have been put off by the, the cellular construction. But actually for us, for multi-let businesses, it's fantastic. All the structure's there. It's actually what we're looking for. But it does mean the competition can be a little bit less. So prices can be lower than you expect. So the seventh thing, tenancy law. So tenancy law for residential doesn't apply here. The law is much more balanced between the landlord or the property owner and the client. In residential, I've been amazed at how far that pendulum has swung and how incredibly difficult it is if you have a difficult tenant who knows the game, how difficult and how expensive it can be to have them move on. Whereas in commercial, the law is much more balanced. The license is a contract. It's a commercial contract. It is not treated um, as a residential license. So it's much more balanced, which really helps. I know some of you maybe had some of that pain when you've had residential property and it's not gone right. For some reason or another, the tenant has turned from what you thought they were and things have gone sour and it can take a long time to sort that out. Commercial, not the same issue. It's more grown up. You do have those conversations sometimes with somebody struggling and sometimes they have to move on, but you don't have to wait nine months for it. The eighth thing, income can rise quickly due to shorter licenses. So have a think about this. Customers come and go, of course, with shorter license periods. You know, so sometimes our customers will take a six month, a 12 month or a two year license to occupy a space. But it gives you the opportunity to upgrade spaces to suit the market and increase income as you go along. So we don't, we don't go in and charge um, increased rents on our customers 
other than you know what maybe inflation is doing or whatever it's doing in, in the general costs on an annual basis. But if somebody moves out, it gives you a chance to test the market. So we sometimes use below market rent or we suggest our commercial uh, property customers that they should maybe go for slightly below market rent to attract customers, to get the thing going, to get started. But the rent doesn't have to stay there forever. It doesn't have to stay there for five to ten years like leases. You have much more opportunity to experiment with the price, to see exactly where the sweet spot is. So I'm not saying increase rent for customers for no reason. But when people move out, you have much more opportunity to test, keep testing. Where's the best price here? What's the market willing to take? And that allows you to quickly increase income rather than a leased situation where a customer comes on, you think, am I going to take this one? Oh, I don't know. I don't like the price, but I might have to take it because when's the next one going to come along? And you'd seal in that price for five to 10 years. It can be frustrating, not with licenses. You have much more flexibility. So the ninth thing, there are some considerable tax benefits over HMO investment or residential investment. And I have gone into that a little bit in previous podcasts. But suffice to say, the the commercial uh, aspect of the property, the VAT, the business rates, the way that capital allowances work, maintenance, repair, costs, all these things have tax benefits built around them that you will not witness in residential or much less so in residential and HMO investments. Investing in commercial property, and particularly if you use a trading business, can really give you access to these to these tax savings. Worth, of course, speaking to your accountant or your advisor on, on what those could be, but there are a lot of them. So the 10th thing, business startup levels and storage use is continuing to increase. I gave you those stats earlier on about the US market. The UK market has been increasing, not in double figures, but in high um, single figures for years and years. And these trends, both of startups and storage and flexible space, are helping CMO demand grow consistently. Interestingly, it's really something that I'm seeing more and more of in secondary locations, perhaps in your local town, in areas you wouldn't necessarily have looked and seen a Regis or a WeWork or perhaps a more national branded serviced office operator because it's just not got the demographics that they're looking for. But actually for you who live there on the ground or know the area well, it can be a really good business model. And that leads me on to the 11th thing, which is about recession proofing. So we might be entering a recession. We certainly will do at some point. And leases um, can sometimes hold tenants, but if a tenant goes bust, or a tenant refuses to pay because they can't, or they take some kind of insolvency agreement, you could be left out of pocket. And what we found during the last recession was that people with long-term leases that were coming up to an end decided not to renew and looked for flexible options. And actually, during the recession of 2008 through to sort of 2012, we, we actually gained more inquiries and customers during that period than during quite a few other years. And it's been quite interesting to see how people are starting to react to the market now. And I think what you'll see is when people are coming up to the end of their leases, which is not all at the same time, they're not all going to finish on the 
1st of June or something, but they, as they come to renew those, they will be looking more for flexible space. And flexible centres who are priced at a sensible level, particularly if you've bought an older building and not built new, means that you can grab what could be a shrinking pie, but you can grab more because people are looking more for your type of space. So the 12th and final thing I've got here on the list. If you already have a business and you're wanting to get into commercial property, it's a multi-let is a great way to leverage your business to get into commercial property and letting. So let me explain that. If, if, you're, if you have your own business, let's say you're a painter and you want to take on a wee industrial unit, fine, take it on, you fill it, you maybe put it in your own pension, you're in your own SAS, and it's just something that's tickling over and it's a good way to get into the commercial property market. But what it doesn't do is allow you to generate income or prove the model. And what's really interesting is if you have your own business that could become a tenant of a slightly larger building than you would maybe have anticipated, then you can start splitting it up and letting out space to other similar businesses. And it's a way the bank would find easier to lend to you because primarily the tenant is yourself, your own business. But actually, the extra space can be used to rent out to others. And of course, once you've done that, maybe you could go buy another building, move yourself out and let out the space you were in. It's a great way of getting into the market. So at the beginning, I did say I was going to discuss some of the downsides. So you just have to remember, when you're doing this type of business, if you want to get out of operations, you kind of need to aim for scale. Because unfortunately, I've found that commercial agents who would normally let out commercial space, in most cases, can't operate multi-let spaces for you. In fact, if you find a multi-let building that's currently being managed by a commercial agent, I would suggest that could be a good target for you. We've, we've bought buildings before that were run by commercial agents that were um, multi-let spaces, but they just weren't run very well. And within about an 18-month period, we've completely transformed it just by being on site and being more focused. So that brings its own problem, though, which is you have to roll your own sleeves up sometimes and get on with it. You can, of course, employ and teach people how to do that, but to start with, you're going to have to do it yourself. If not, you may have to find somebody who can work with you as a partner. It doesn't it, it does mean, though, that you're probably going to have to be responsible for some staff. I, I will come back to that in a future podcast about the whole operation side of these things. But having a member of staff on site five days a week makes a huge difference. But of course, and this is the second point, it does mean you will need to build to a certain size. Sorry, buy buildings of a certain size. So... A 2,000-foot building just won't work mathematically because if you have a member of staff on site and it's 2,000 square feet instead of 20, you can imagine the cost of that person is shared over much less space. Now, you don't have to employ staff and you don't have to go for fully serviced. You could go for a managed multi-let building where you maybe involve more technology and I've seen that done quite successfully. I just believe... Having somebody on site makes all the difference in the world. The third thing that's maybe a bit of a downside is unless you have scale, the day-to-day operations will come back to you. So even though you think, okay, I've got somebody on site or I've got a team here looking after or it might even be using an agent, a lot of the challenges will filter back to you 
if you are running a smaller sized operation. The fourth thing, there are more customers and facility costs to deal with than, for instance, a full insuring, repairing lease. Um, but it's a bit like HMOs, really. You're going to have utilities, water, drainage, gas, electric, all these different things. You're going to have to have your certification. It's just that rather than having three or four HMOs, you just have one commercial building to do that. But these are things you have to think about. It's not necessarily fully on for a passive person, who you know, a passive investor. At the end of the day, it does require more intensive management. But, you know, there are workarounds, as I say, and some operators do use a lot of technology to remove the need for staff, such as maybe fob access for main doors or meeting rooms or sometimes remote receptionists. I just think it's, it's important to think about the human touch on some of these sites. I know that when we've moved into areas where there are no people, there are maybe other operators doing multi-let, but they don't have somebody on site, it makes a big difference. You know, we, we can we can deliver much more value to the customer and in time you'll you find that people gravitate more towards that community feel that you can generate when you've actually got somebody on site. So this little known strategy of CMO has been life-changing for us and I would really recommend it to investors who want to get involved in growing value in your portfolio. It is very good for the active investor of course but Past investors can get involved too. Just find perhaps joint venture partners that can do it with you. And I, I just remember back to when residential investment was a little bit repetitive, whereas CMO developments are always different. It can really give you a chance to directly increase your portfolio income and therefore value. They can be creative. Um, where we're moving now, this is where our business is going. We're now moving more towards a blend of office space, studio space for, you know, people making stuff, shared spaces, co-working space, meeting rooms, venue space with food and beverage, and in time, gym space with perhaps concessions for other service providers such as barbers or hairdressers, that sort of thing. But this comes with scale. It's not for everyone, but that's where we're wanting to go. We really want to keep developing inspiring spaces that people want to work in and spend time in. It's becoming more of a blend of providing a workspace, but also a space that people just enjoy being in and meeting in. And that's not to say that some of our other locations blend more with office or industrial and storage, and that's fine. It suits the individual opportunities that you'll come across. So I just want to finish off by mentioning that at the moment, I'm developing an online course for people who want to learn and implement this strategy. So if you are interested in hearing more about that, then just drop me a message. The relevant contact details and all that will be in the in the podcast summary below. But it just goes without saying, commercial multi-let is definitely something you should look into. We found a really exciting investment area and so much so that it's pretty much all that we do now. Um, and it's something that we're going to continue doing. We will, of course, as I say, expand into new areas and try and develop more of a blended offering for our customers. But it, it's a great, great sector. So I'm going to share with you in future episodes details about CMO, more in-depth episodes. But what I'm going to do is I'll title them, whatever the title is, let's say, for instance, um, it's Finding Good Commercial Multiple Occupancy Buildings, but I will put in the title CMO. So if you are looking for more information on this, when the podcasts come out, if they've got CMO in them, you know what that's going to be about. 
So thank you all for listening. Thank you for your reviews and for your suggestions. Please keep them coming and I look forward to speaking to you next week. Thank you.